Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushable. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Soundprints for the week of August 28, 2019. Our first announcement is from the Braille Revival League. BRL has developed a booklet consisting of nine Braille games. All proceeds from the purchase of this booklet go directly to the Braille Revival League, an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. The nine games in this booklet are referred to as innings, and each game or inning is on a sheet unto itself. The inning answers are also on separate pages. Inning Keys 1. Scrambled bird names. Unscramble the letters to find the bird. 2. Numerical uses a standard telephone keypad numbers 2 through 9, to translate those numbers into a word. Each answer will have two braille contractions. Three, four-letter word sweep. There are four four four-letter words for each clue. Take one letter from each word, thereby creating a four-letter word answer appropriate to the clue. Four, phobias. Figure out these phobias. Five, all numbers. Just figure out the answers to this inning. Six, two-word tango. There are two clues for each answer. Seven, the White House. See what you know about the women and men who lived there. Eight, Bible anagrams. Unscramble these names from the Bible. And nine, rivers and lakes. See what you know about these rivers and lakes. To purchase a games booklet, contact BRL Treasurer Jane Corona, C-A-R-O-N-A, at 301 301- Five nine eight two one three one. The cost of a game booklet is ten dollars, and the booklet is called Games with Ralph, Volume Two. Thanks for your support of the Braille Revival League. Two or three weeks ago, we told you about new broadcast times for sound prints on ACB Radio Mainstream. Now we have additional information for you about schedule changes for sound prints. Our new weekly edition of Sound Prints has been posted as a podcast on Sunday evenings for a long time. From now on, it will be posted on Wednesdays. The new weekly program will be heard for the first time on ACB Radio at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on Thursdays. And the CD edition will be mailed to subscribers on Monday or Tuesday ahead of the posting of the podcast so that CD listeners receive their magazine about the same time as everyone else. If you have questions about these changes, just give us a call at 502-895-4598. Cindy Van Winkle is ACB's new Membership Services Coordinator. She is based in our Minneapolis office. Cindy has been a member of ACB for many years and has held several leadership positions. We know you'll enjoy meeting Cindy on page 2. Page 3 contains two articles about the employment of people with disabilities. Both point out the many benefits of hiring people with disabilities and cite research showing the positive outcomes both for employees and the companies themselves. And on page 4 is an abbreviated Soundprints calendar. Page 2 
On the phone with me is Cindy Van Winkle. She is the newest member of the ACB staff, and she is based in our Brooklyn Center, Minnesota office. And in case some of you are thinking, Cindy in Minnesota, well, yes, that's where the position is. She's our membership services coordinator. Uh, and you're probably thinking Cindy should be in Washington. Well, she has been for a long, long, long time. But now it has moved to Minnesota, and Cindy, we are just really pleased to have you as part of the ACB staff. We know you're going to be doing a lot of great things, but here on Soundprints, we want to meet meet you as a person, find out about you know your childhood, what you enjoy doing, um, family, um, previous work, you know, whatever you'd like to tell us. We know the ACB side, and to a great extent, you've been president of Washington Council for a couple of times. You've been chair of the uh, Leadership Institute at ACB. Um, you worked on the auction many, many years, and, and many other things. But tell us about the Cindy that's the other side of Cindy, I guess. Uh, okay. Yeah, just, just, just let us meet you and get to know you a little better. Sure. Um, thanks for even asking me to do this with you. It's great. Um, let's see. Well, I was born in Los Angeles, California, raised in Carson, which is um, part of the L.A. City Schools. And I was born blind, but they did not know I was blind right away. And the cause is still undetermined, even here in my 50s. <laughs> um, I, they call it optic atrophy. Uh, I think that's just like the go-to when they really don't know for sure. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> but I, I wasn't premature. Um, so, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people who are blind from the 50s and 60s is from prematurity. My mom didn't have measles. Uh, so she was never sick when she was pregnant with me. And nobody else in my family that we have been able to find has had any vision loss. So so I'm the lucky one. And <laughs> you know, I say that in jest, but really, it, it's been such an amazing journey to this point. Um, growing up, I was one of three children... Um, my sister a year older than me, my brother five years younger than me, and of course both of them could see my, at that time, you know, there wasn't a lot of, we didn't have social media, <laughs> right? Uh, and so there wasn't as much support as there is today for parents raising a child who's blind, and so my parents were winging it, and when I was around the age of four, uh, my mom tried to uh, find a preschool for me to go to, and that was the first time she really had to advocate for me because several of the schools wouldn't take me, and uh, she did uh, fight my way into one of them, and I successfully went to preschool, and then it was time for kindergarten, and she checked out the School for the Blind uh, for California, and could not wrap her head around the idea of letting me go to a residential school. And she was also very concerned about just how she saw 
her perception of the kids getting around and the help that they were receiving, and she wanted me to be a lot more independent than she thought they were. So whether that was true or not, that was her perception as a mom. And she found Francis Blend, which uh, sadly no longer exists, but it was an elementary school for, for blind children. And I went there through sixth grade. It was uh, in Hollywood, and I was bused. And um, that was great because I got, you know, the foundation of Braille and uh, using the abacus. <laughs> um, just uh, started O&M, uh, not with a cane at that time. In those days, they didn't believe in giving kids a cane, which is just really sad to me. <laughs> uh, today, I think it's great that they give little kids canes, you know, the toddlers even. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but uh, in my neighborhood, it was a neighborhood of lots of young families like ours. And so I grew up around a lot of kids and they were sighted. And so we just somehow seemed to find ways for me to be able to do things. So Obviously, there were some things I couldn't do, but I rode a bike, I roller skated, I um, played sock ball and hide and seek and colored eggs and chase and whatever, <laughs> you know, kids do. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and um, let's see. So it was about, in then junior high and high school, I went to public school. Well, actually, in seventh and eighth grade, I went to a private school, Catholic school. That was probably, I wanted to go so bad because that's where the neighborhood kids, you know, went. I lived mm-hmm. in a real strong Catholic community, and my sister was going there, and I really wanted to go. But in their defense, they really didn't have the infrastructure in place to be able to support me. And I I thought I could do it, and I did do it. I made it through, but... It was a struggle, mm-hmm. and so uh, ninth grade, I went to back to public school, and then um, my family moved up to Washington my senior year of high school, so I spent my senior year of high school in Washington State and lived there just shy of 40 years, 12 days, if I, if I, stayed there 13 days, excuse me, if I'd stayed there 13 days longer, I could have said I lived in Washington for 40 years. Uh, the fact that I still have a house there, maybe that counts. I'm still a <laughs> resident, sort of. <laughs> it could. We'll count it. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else could I tell you? Um, I loved baseball growing up and was a real Dodger fan and got real involved in calling like the sports radio talk shows and things like that and the the real summarized version of this story would be that i had the pleasure of being invited to meet the dodgers go into the dugout uh, and uh, go onto the field and that was pretty amazing with me and my family and then a month later they they threw me a surprise birthday party for my 15th birthday. So that's, that's one pretty special uh, I event guess. in my life. And I feel How pretty, fun. 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And yeah. I'm still uh, friends with Tommy Lasorda, who was the manager at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. iconic in baseball. Yes. Um, and let's see. Uh, I have, I'm going to fast forward a little. I have two grown daughters, and I was pregnant with my oldest daughter when I joined the council. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty easy for me to know how long I've been a member <laughs> mm-hmm. because she is 33. So okay. I've been a member for 33 years. Both of my girls grew up in this organization. And I think it was an amazing thing for both of them. They both have huge hearts. They're very compassionate women. And, um, and I contribute much of that to their involvement in going to conventions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were both raised in Washington. My oldest daughter has my three precious grandchildren, which I adore, and I am Nana to them. <laughs> and uh, probably one of my favorite hats to wear is being Nana. Um, and my grandchildren are Molly is 11, George is 8, and Elena is 5, starting kindergarten in a short period of time here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they live in Michigan. So, uh, oh, so you're closer yeah, to them now. I am closer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my youngest daughter lives still in Bremerton, where I lived, and she lived 10 minutes from my house so now I'm a lot further away from her mm-hmm. and she just got married in January at Disney World so I think one of the things so a few things I would share with people is that I grew up loving the Dodgers um, I love Disney so even my bathroom is decked out in Disney <sighs> shower curtain and towels and such um, uh, all of my mugs, coffee mugs, if somebody wants to get me a coffee mug, uh, it needs to be Disney if it's going to end up on my uh, at my coffee bar. <laughs> I love coffee, and I have a Keurig. Uh, I've set up a coffee bar in my apartment, and um, it was one of the things I brought with me from Washington. I was like, okay, I will find a a spot for this no matter what mm-hmm. <laughs> even if I don't have a couch <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, but I do have a couch <laughs> so well that's I, a good thing I have the room <laughs> um, let's see I am a guide dog handler and uh, currently I have a German Shepherd from Guiding Eyes and her name is Balsa and uh I've been working guide dogs off and on since I was 17. And let's see. So how many dogs, this, how many dogs oh, have you ahead. had? I've, you know, I'm going to claim because I've had a few dogs that didn't work out. So I, I didn't, you know, have them for a long time. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I had, uh, I've had five that were good workers uh, and still are good workers. Uh one was a yellow lab named Misty, and then I had a German Shepherd named Awesome, and then a, another German Shepherd named Arabelle, another German Shepherd named Geneva, 
and now I have balsa. Mm. Those are that's my crew. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, and then let's see. Uh, as an adult, you know, I've, I love to go to karaoke. Love to sing. Love love to go out with friends and um, you know have a good time and laugh. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, karaoke seems like a good place to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. I love the Seahawks. So still a Seahawks fan. It's come with me. Um, uh, you know, you can take me out of Washington, but you can't take the Seahawks out of me. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, looking forward to football season starting here soon. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. They say they're going to make you a Vikings fan, but you don't think that's going to happen? No, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can only become Minnesota so far, right? <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, I'm working on this, right? This is I, I'm still in transition. Here, yes, so. it may take uh, a couple of years. Yeah, I think, you know, so uh, you and I were talking previous to this uh, talk here, and uh, you said maybe to share some about my jobs. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll jump into that. Okay. Um, so when I was 16 and in high school, there came an opportunity to work at a mall for a couple of weeks, and I had one week off of school. My mom let me take the other week off so I could do this job, and my sister and I both worked for a photography company uh, that were doing photos uh, for Easter, mm-hmm. and my job was to be the Easter bunny, so <laughs> that was really fun. Uh, so I was the Easter bunny for two weeks, a long, long time ago, and then uh, when I graduated high school, I went to college for a little while, that didn't work out so well for me, I did go back, but at that time it didn't, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and then I had kids, and um, got a job, I started working in our nursery at church, volunteering first then got a paid position eventually became nursery director and uh, had six employees and about 60 volunteers that I worked with wow did that for about three years I bet you were good at that I I loved it yeah really uh, fun yeah and and really you know it was interesting actually Carla because at the time I can remember uh you know, I was the only blind person at at my church at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was a big church, so there's a lot of people. And then here I am working in the nursery, and then I'm nursery director. And just kudos to the staff there for giving me that opportunity. Right. Because a lot of people would not have given that opportunity to me at that time. Very true. Uh, and uh, I remember one of the... Uh, ladies who would bring her daughter in. Uh, we did some Bible studies together, and so we knew each other. And it was about a year after she was bringing her baby in, she said to me, you know, Cindy, I, I felt so bad, but I I want you to know that I wondered how you could take care of my daughter. And so when I picked her up that first time and you said, 
told me about her and how, you know, how she did and that she had had one messy diaper and blah, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. She said, I have to admit, I went home and I took her diaper off to see if you got her clean. And she felt, she felt guilty for that. <coughs> and she said, you know, how do you do it? And so anyway, that's certainly, you know, if you have kids, that's not a question that, um, is unusual. People ask no. weird questions of us as people who are blind. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we do certain things? They ask us things that they may not ask other people uh, who are sighted, for example. Right. But anyway, that is a question I was asked a lot. And my pat answer was and still would be, I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. Right. So, there you go. That's right. my answer on that one. Right. Um, but Yes, I always made sure my kiddos got clean, whether mm-hmm. they were mine or somebody else's. Else's. That's right. Yep. yep. Uh, and then uh, it was about, oh, like I said, I worked at, as nursery director for three years, but about two years in, somebody told me about a job coming open at the school district for, uh, uh, oh my goodness, <laughs> paraeducator with blind students and I applied first time uh, going for an interview where there was eight people around the table <laughs> talking about intimidation uh, and uh, but I, I got that job ended up working in the school districts for 21 years I uh, worked at two different districts uh, mainly teaching Braille and loved it, loved the kids, and am blessed to still be friends with many of them today. And now they're adults, and many of them are, you know, older adults. Some of them are getting closer to the age of, they would not fit into next generation. (laughs) 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 Oh, my goodness, isn't that funny? Um, And anyway, did that, like I said, for 21 years. Felt I needed a change, applied for a job at the Lighthouse uh, for the Blind Incorporated in Seattle. Uh, Originally was hired as events coordinator, ended up um, moving into development and community outreach. Uh, So uh, in my first year, I helped organize a couple of big events, a garden party and a golf tournament. That was a lot of fun. Moved into um, outreach coordinator, which was uh, handling all of their social media, building their volunteer uh, program. Uh, they had a school tour program that I oversaw, and uh, there uh, did a lot of their outreach um, for annual giving uh, events <laughs> to get like federal employees to donate mm-hmm. to the organization. Yeah, like the combined and federal campaign. Yep, it was about three years ago, so somewhere around that time, uh, they were talking about this position at ACB. And I remember going up to Kim and saying, when that job comes posted, I want to know about it. (laughs) And, of course, I didn't expect it to be in Minneapolis. (laughs) Right. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, but... You know, here it is, and here I am. I applied for it. I thought, why not? Uh, and so I did. 
and from the time I was offered the job is about six weeks to the time I moved here and have been working on uh, getting my house ready to sell it so it's now on the market and uh, and yeah the, the rest I guess is is yet to be uh, to figure out all of that stuff but I'm looking for people to come visit me. (laughs) (laughs) I want to learn Minneapolis, and so um, I I keep telling everybody to come visit me so that I have reason to go visit places and (laughs) not do it alone, you know? Yes, yes. Well, and um, I'm sure that you'll find many, many things in the community there that you'll be involved in. You're just not the kind of person that will just be... You know, sitting home and going to work. Yeah, that's, that's just not that's Cindy. True. I'm already I'm already assigned to a dart team uh, for blind darts mm-hmm. and to a bowling team for mm-hmm. a bowling league. Right. And so those both start after Labor Day. Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend did visit me, and we went to the Guthrie Theater and saw Guys and Dolls with audio description, and the audio description here is amazing. Mm. So uh, I've got to do that already. Yeah, that, yeah, that's great. Well, so as the membership services coordinator, you've already started contacting affiliates, talking to affiliates about ways that they can can work on their membership and, and so on. Um, I know that uh, this past Sunday you came to an ACB families meeting and and it was it was wonderful because um, sometimes you know there there are new ideas on ways to recruit members and then there are new twists on ideas on ways to recruit members or keep members sometimes retaining those members we all think about recruiting but sometimes we forget about retaining and and it, there's always new ways or just a new little twist on how both of those things happen. And um, the, the, you're, you're coming to that call was great. I mean, I, I think it kind of got people excited over things that, that, in the case of families, we've been doing quite a bit in the last couple of years. But, you know, there's always room for more. It never stops, right? That's true, and just uh, just to piggyback on what you said about recruitment and retention, I feel like retention is your gauge of how healthy you are as an affiliate. Very true. If you are retaining your members, then you are healthy. Mm-hmm. If you are not, then you need to look deep and find ways to uh, find out why you're losing members mm-hmm. and how you can either get them back and also keep the ones that you have so you don't lose more. So that's your, that's your you know, gauge on your, the level of your healthiness. And, and really, if you're doing that and you're healthy, new members will come. Now, you do have to do things, obviously, to, you know, help that happen, right? Right. But it's, it's not enough to just get dues. You want people to stay and be committed and, and vetted into the organization. So... It was fun to have that conversation with your group there, Carla, because really, I don't think that my ideas or thoughts are are new, uh, but sometimes they just need to be reminded, like they're reminders of 
and some of it's going back to things we used to do, and then other things get in the way. Right. So, uh, example um, is technology, right? Technology is incredible, amazing. I use it all the time. Right. Uh, And we rely on it a lot. We rely on it to send out emails, social media, and we think messages are getting across that way, and that's great. Um, But a good old phone call should not be overlooked. The personal contact. Yes. It it, it makes a huge difference. Yes. So uh, that's just a basic reminder, not just to, you know, ACB families. We talked about that a, Mm -hmm. a bit on our call. But really to all chapters and affiliates, uh, to think about that, what are you doing to make that personal contact with your members? That, uh, so there's my little, and my I, little sermon yes. <laughs> for this <clears throat> And I think that we all, no matter what level we're on, I, I think that no matter what we are doing, how we're doing it um, on the recruitment and retention area, that uh, we also need to be mindful about are we just preaching to the choir or are we looking at ways that we can reach outside of ourselves and let other people know about what we're doing and also getting the people that we do have more involved. And that is hard. And, um, you know, we tend to think, well, okay, so they're a member and maybe sometimes we don't touch base with them again until next time to collect their dues. Yep. And and and, and the it's the touches in between that yes. make a big difference. And I think no matter who we are or how many we have in our organization or how small or how large we are, um, it's those touches in between that are really difficult because um, we never have enough people to to get time. it all done. Yes. Yes, it takes time, and so you have to have people that are committed to making those connections, those mm-hmm. touches. Uh, but boy, if you can find ways to do that, mm-hmm. uh, it I guarantee mm-hmm. that uh, you'll reap the rewards. There, there's benefits to it. Um, the other thing that I think uh, is is really great is that you guys. ACB families here, and and just because it's so fresh in my mind because we just talked, right? Are are doing a lot of things with programming, and so the more you offer, whether you're a chapter and you meet in person, or whether you're an affiliate that is you know scattered around, and the phone is a great way to conference in and do some programming, and or have chats. Uh, that, again, would engage people so that people feel connected to your organization. Right. And and you, of course, didn't know on that call, but there were a couple of people on that call who really are members of ACB families just because of those conference calls that we hold. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, I joined because of these, and I continue to to pay my dues because of these calls, and I want to be supportive. Well, Cindy, I know that there are going to be many, many great things that come out of that position. ACB has needed that position for a long time, and um, I I think that you're going to 
bring some new life into membership development in ACB, and just we're glad that you're there, and um, I hope that that you can you know can continue to to work with affiliates and reach out to them, and I'm sure you will, and I hope affiliates will you know will will, will work with you in the, the spirit of oh we all can can do better. There's always room for us to um, you know to increase our membership and improve what we do even if it's not technically a membership activity ultimately everything we do is membership development absolutely so. and if i could i'd like to share my contact information yes please so yes if anyone wants to give me a call and just pass something by me ask for some feedback um whatever ask for help uh, my number here at the office is 612 three four five nine zero three six that is my direct line okay. six one two three four five nine zero three six and I can also be reached at C Van Winkle so C V A N W I N K L E at A C B dot O R G. Okay. All right. Well thank you so much. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Sounds great. Thanks. Page 3. Here are some articles and announcements from around the Internet during this past week. The first item is from ACB Leadership and was posted on August 22. It is entitled, Former Senator Harkin and Internet Founder Vincent Cerf to discuss how the untapped labor pool of nearly 11 million people with disabilities can boost economy at National Press Club Headliners event. And the note on the article is that Kim Charlson, immediate past president of the American Council of the Blind, will be a speaker at the National Press Club Headliners event on September 4 at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. This article is taken from PRNewsWire.com. Washington, August 20, 2019, PR Newswire. Former U.S. Senator Tom Harkin, Vinton Cerf, and other influential leaders in disability inclusion, technology, and advocacy will discuss how embracing assistive technologies and adopting an inclusive mindset will drive U.S. economic growth by employing the nearly 11 million people with disabilities at a National Press Club headliners event on September 4 at 10 a.m. According to a recent Accenture report, Companies leading the way with inclusive workplaces achieved, on average, 28% higher revenue, double the net income, and 30% higher economic profit margins over the four-year period analyzed. The same report found that the GDP could receive a net gain of $25 million per each 1% of this population that joins the U.S. labor force. Harkin is the chief sponsor of the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, while Vinton Cerf is the winner of the National Medal of Technology and Innovation for founding and developing the Internet. They will be joined by others to convene a discussion about the impact potential of this untapped population and how workplaces can set in motion the necessary culture shift and technology acceleration to make it happen. This event will be held at 10 a.m. in the club's conference rooms 
and is open to credentialed media and club members free of charge. However, registration is required. Speakers include Tom Harkin, former U.S. Senator and author of and chief sponsor of the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, Vinton Cerf, winner of the U.S. National Medal of Technology and Innovation for founding and developing the Internet, Dr. Greg Vanderheiden, professor and director of the Trace R&D Center, University of Maryland, and pioneering advocate for access to technology, Kim Charlson, Global Advocate for Inclusion, serving as Executive Director of Perkins Library, a division of the Perkins School for the Blind, and immediate past president of the American Council of the Blind. Chet Cooper, leading expert for people with disabilities and founder of AbilityMagazine.com, AbilitiesJobs.com, AbilityJobFair.org, AbilityCore.com, Dot org. Rob Wong, Assistive Technology Entrepreneur and CEO of Control Bionics, provider of EMG wearable bionics devices. The National Press Club is located on the 13th floor of the National Press Building at 529 14th Street Northwest, Washington, D.C. And the press contact is Lindsay Underwood for the National Press Club at lunderwood at press.org phone 202-662-7561 and this article was posted on the leadership list by Kelly Gask and here is a related article from August 16, 2019 this is entitled Disability Not a Barrier at a time of low unemployment employers tap a new talent pool this article is taken from usatoday.com. After not working for eight years because of a visual disability, Samantha Reeves speaks with palpable pride of the day in April when she officially became an Oklahoma State employee. Quote, it's changed my life, says Reeves, 30, who secured a position with the Department of Rehabilitation's Career Planning Center through GALT. G-A-L-T, a foundation that helps people with disabilities find jobs. The only time I ever got out of my house was to go to the doctor, and you can't imagine what that does to someone's mood, she says. Working provided an opportunity to let my strengths actually shine so people get to know the real me and not just see my disability. A low unemployment rate heightened advocacy by activists, and a study that highlights how more inclusion can boost the bottom line have made hiring of people with disabilities the next front in the effort to diversify workplaces in the United States. Institutional investors, including 15 state treasurers, have called on businesses whose shares they own to make hiring workers with disabilities a priority. Together, they represent over $2.1 trillion in assets. And whether they're posting break room signs in Braille or tweaking their interview processes to accommodate those on the autism spectrum, companies like Voya, 
VOYA, Microsoft, and Walgreens are among the businesses taking steps to make sure they're recruiting and supporting employees with physical, emotional, and neurological challenges. Quote, there is momentum, says Crosby Cromwell, former chief marketing officer for Galt, who has helped more than 25,000 people with disabilities find employment. Disability historically has been an overlooked talent pool. And so, because of the unemployment rate, because of the strengthening of the voice in the disability community, it's the right time to introduce disability inclusion to corporate America. End of quote. A study released in October 2018 and compiled by Accenture in partnership with the organization Disability In and the American Association of People with Disabilities, AAPD, determined that the U.S.'s GDP could increase up to $25 billion if the number of employed Americans with physical, neurological, or emotional challenges increased by 1%. A five-year-old Disability Equality Index, DEI, which gives businesses benchmarks to measure their progress, now includes 180 companies. Some businesses have already seen benefits to their bottom lines. The report found that 45 businesses seen as leaders in employing workers with disabilities had average revenue over four years that was 28% higher than corporate peers, from 2015 to 2018. Meanwhile, their average profit margins during that time period were 30% higher. Quote, the conversation is absolutely evolving from philanthropic and charitable to one that is foundational to the business, says Laurie Henneborn, H-E-N-N-E-B-O-R-N, Research Managing Director for Accenture, who has made inclusion a focal point. In 2017, 4.5% of Accenture's U.S. workforce self-identified as having a disability. Yet at a time when the jobless rate is just above 50-year low of 3.7%, the unemployment rate for those with disabilities is nearly twice that, at 6.3%. Only 19.3% of people with disabilities 16 and over were employed as of May 2019, compared with 66.3% in that age range who were not disabled, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. The Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, which passed in 1990, banned discrimination against that population and was successful in making accommodations like sidewalk curb cuts and ramps commonplace. But Quote, it has not achieved its goal of job opportunities and equal opportunity in the workforce for people with disabilities who are able and willing to work. End of quote, says Ted Kennedy, Jr., disability rights attorney and chairman of the AAPD's board. Quote, that's what we're trying to address. Disabilities not always in plain sight. Many may think of a disability as a challenge that is visible or physical, a woman who uses a wheelchair, a man who has cerebral palsy, but disabilities are far more wide-ranging. The ADA defines disability, quote, as a physical or mental impairment that previously or currently limits at least one primary life activity significantly. 
Advocates emphasize that such challenges can include invisible health issues like anxiety, diabetes, depression, or lupus. One in four U.S. adults, 61 million people, have a disability according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And among those who are employed, 62% say their disabilities are invisible, meaning colleagues don't realize they have a challenge unless they're told, according to a 2017 report from the Center for Talent Innovation. Latoya Berry, B-E-R-R-Y, 33, says she has dealt with crippling anxiety during her work life, and she says that in the past she believes her needing to take a health-related leave or go to the doctor hindered her ability to progress. Galt helped her find her current temporary position as a human resource administrative assistant, and Barry says having a supportive employer has made a big difference. Quote, I feel like the employer I'm with now is very understanding, says Barry, who lives in Oklahoma City. I've only had one episode since I've worked here, and I think it has a lot to do with them having the compassion. End of quote. Reeves has an eye condition known as retinitis pigmentosa, which dramatically limits her field of vision. Quote, it has to be right in front of my eyes for me to see it, she says, adding that she can't see at night and her lack of depth perception means she needs to use a cane when she walks up and down stairs. Diagnosed with a condition when she was 21, Reeves was working at a call center when her vision deteriorated to the point she needed to go on disability. Quote, I've spent eight years on disability thinking that I could not work that no one would hire someone who had a visual disability, she says. Reeves says some employers might believe an employee with a physical or health challenge just won't be up to the job. But just because I can't do it the same way others do doesn't mean I can't do it, she says. We can still accomplish things. We just may not accomplish them in the same way. Reeves' computer has a larger-than-typical screen, and instead of having the more common white background with black letters, the background is black with white letters, making it easier for her to see. Reeves' manager also found her a lamp that magnifies documents and even ordered more brightly colored post-its to help Reeves with tasks. Such accommodations may make some companies fear that it will be too costly to support employees who have special needs. But, Kennedy says... Quote, we know most accommodations cost little or nothing, end of quote. If there are quotes, Kennedy says, tax credits can cover them. And organizations like the Galt Foundation will pay for any aids that employees it places may need. Tech to meet diverse needs is the trend. At a time when Amazon's Alexa can switch on a home's lights and Netflix provides tracks to narrate what's happening on the screen, employees with disabilities who both viscerally understand the need for such innovations and help to create them can fuel a company's success, business leaders say. The U.S. Office of Disability Employment Policy has said people with disabilities are the third largest market segment in the country, according to an April 2018 report from the American Institutes for Research. 
The report added that the discretionary income of people with disabilities who are working age is $21 billion. The insights of employees with disabilities have also helped create technology that is more useful for the population as a whole. Microsoft has a broker who actively pursues potential employees who have disabilities, like being on the autism spectrum with the help of various individuals and organizations. And because traditional interviewing processes may not be the best gauge of what people on the autism spectrum have to offer, the tech giant has an academy for those with that condition which invites potential employees to visit the company campus. Roughly half of those who've participated have been hired so far, and the company says it wants to hire as many candidates as possible. Quote, We're very, very adamant. We're not just hiring you because of your skills, says Jenny Layfleury, L-A-Y hyphen F-L-U-R-R-I-E, Microsoft's chief accessibility officer who is deaf and has a sign language interpreter. Quote, we're hiring you because you bring unique experience and talents to the company that could help us be better. End of quote. Microsoft's efforts at inclusion are evident in other ways as well. It makes sure labels are in Braille so visually impaired workers can tell what beverage they're grabbing. And the company's hackathons on disability have led to innovations for the broader public that range from a smartphone app that uses artificial intelligence to read a menu or a person's hair color to adaptive controls for the popular Xbox that assist gamers with mobility issues. Walgreens has run a transitional work group program for over a decade in which people with disabilities are trained and coached over 13 weeks for potential positions in the retailers, warehouses, and distribution centers. Meanwhile, it's READI, R-E-D-I, Retail Employees with Disabilities Initiative program offers training for a potential position in a store from working the cash register to stocking shelves. Roughly 1,600 employees have taken part in the initiative. And while Walgreens aims to hire at least 60% of those who complete the program, some trainees have gone on to jobs at other retailers, including Macy's and Publix, says Carlos Cubia, C-U-B-I-A, Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion and Global Chief Diversity Officer for Walgreens Boots Alliance. Quote, we make no concession in terms of the job expectations, in terms of the pay, says Kubia. The expectation is hires will perform at the same level, be there every day, have the same responsibilities as people without a disability, end of quote. Anecdotally, he says, the company sees less absenteeism and longer tenures from employees with disabilities. Voya, a financial company, began focusing on workers with disabilities in earnest in 2016. It developed a plan to bolster its hiring, benefits, and policies for those with disabilities. It is also helping clients provide additional financial planning tools and resources to those with disabilities and special needs, along with their caregivers. 
Roughly 3% of VOYA employees say they have a disability or have had one in the past, and the company has adjusted its interview process for those on the spectrum. Quote, a literal question might not be a great way to get at whether the candidate has certain talents, says Heather Lavelli, L-A-V-A-L-L-E-E, president of tax-exempt markets for Voya's retirement business. That same person might be exceptional at IT work that really requires head-down focus and discipline. That extra effort can yield a great return, says Reeves. When you give someone with a disability a chance, you will get someone who is loyal and hardworking, and they will work twice as hard, she says, because they know what it's like to not be given a chance. APH's Nearby Explorer is a full-featured GPS app for iOS and Android devices that empowers users to travel with confidence. It uses GPS and your phone's compass to speak real-time information about your surroundings, including millions of points of interest in the U.S. and Canada. Nearby Explorer is available on Google Play and on the App Store. Page 4, The Sound Prince Calendar. On September 1, the Greater Louisville Council of Blind Committees will meet. 7 p.m. is the Advocacy Committee and 8 p.m. is the Education, Activities, and Technology Committee. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On September 2, the Savvy Program Committee will meet at 7 p.m. Central Time at the Zoom line 669-900-6833, enter code 3572-595-193. On September 3, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have a support group meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This is a call for individuals statewide who are experiencing low vision. You're encouraged to come and ask questions, share tips, and offer comments. The number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. On September 5, the American Council of Blind Lions will have its monthly conference call at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. This is an excellent opportunity for blind lions across the country to share ideas about how to become more involved in their local clubs. The number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. On September 6, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its quarterly fall meeting. This will replace the roundabout meeting for that day. The evening will begin with a few roundabout activities at 3.30. The bargain table and sign-in will begin at 4.30 program will start around 5.15 with dinner at 6 and business meeting to follow. Dinner is $6 per person. All activities will conclude by 8.30 p.m. So make return rides around quarter to 9 or 9 o'clock. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On September 8, KCB Next Generation 
will have a meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This is the regular statewide monthly chapter meeting for visually impaired Kentuckians 40 and under. Call 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. On September 8, ACB families will hold a meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. This will be a combined business meeting and program. Call 712-432-3900 and enter code 796096. On September 10, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, Savvy, will have a picnic from noon to 2.30 p.m. Central Time. For more information, call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689. On September 10, the Savvy Board will meet at 7 p.m. Central Time. The number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.